How's everyone doing today? Good, good, awesome. Well, like Pastor Jeff said, uh, my wife and I are the youth pastors here, so if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love to meet you today. Uh, we love the youth of this church. We have awesome, awesome youth. We get to hang out with these knuckleheads all the time, and it is a ton of fun. Uh, some of the best moments we have with these kids are in our house. Okay, For some reason, these students love to come hang out with us. We have a policy at our house. If our front porch light is on, that means you can just come on in. You're welcome to come in and hang out. So kids will come over, and we'll go grocery shopping, or we'll have dinner, or we'll play Legos with the kids, whatever it is. And these are some of the best moments for discipleship. And so that they can see that we're not perfect and that just like them, we fall short. So they see us snap at our kids, right? They see us sometimes when we're stressed out, but they see that we're rooted in Christ. And that at the end of the day, that is what we're about. And we're going to try to walk out our faith the best as we can. And so we'll have, you know, 16 or 17-year-old teenagers in our house. They'll have dinner or whatever. Then it's like time for bed. So they help us get the kids ready for bed. And these, we go up to the room, we have a little bedtime routine, and these cool teenage high school kids will be marching around our kids' bedrooms with my kids singing, God's not dead, he is alive. Like, how cool is that, right? That these students love our family and love our kids so much that they're willing to be goofy and just do life with us. So we think that some of those moments are even more important than a youth service, right? We, we really believe in doing life with these kids. So having said that, if you are a student or if you have a student, please get involved. Uh, you won't regret it. It's so fun to see these guys grow in faith. All right, well, today I want to talk a little bit about something that God has put in my heart that I've become a little bit passionate about in the last year or so, and that is missional living. Okay, I want to talk about how we are called to live out our faith. And so before we get into that, I just kind of want to bring it back to the basics, all right? So we believe in the gospel, right? Whew, guys have me nervous there for a second. Yeah, we believe in the gospel, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, right? While we were enemies of God, while we were liars, while we were prostitutes, while we were drunks, Christ died for us. He went to the cross for us, and it's his blood that saved us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, right? So that we don't have what it takes. And while we were sinners, Christ went to the cross for us. He pardoned us. And in Christ, we find righteousness. In Christ, we find our identity, and so when Christ went to the cross, he saved us. And when we give our lives to him, we say we surrender to him that he is our king, that he is our Lord, something begins to change in us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Right? So when in that moment, we used to be, fine, be defined as sinners. We were defined as liars as prostitutes, whatever it was. That's what we were defined by. But when Christ went to the cross and we, when we accepted him into our life, we are no longer defined by those things. We're defined by one thing, and that's the cross, and that's the blood of Christ. And as believers, we get really geeked up about that, right? We get really excited about that, which we should, because we don't deserve life. We, don't, we deserve death. We always fall short, yet God went to the cross for us. So we get excited about that, but sometimes 
it stops there. Sometimes we forget that being saved isn't the end. Being saved is the beginning, right? It's the beginning of a new life, right? You're a new creation. It's the beginning of a journey, a relationship with God. So now that you are in Christ, the journey begins. Sanctification begins. Sanctification, that's a big theological word, right? It means to become more and more like Christ. And so throughout our life, are we going to be perfect? No. But we're going to be continually taking steps toward Christ and then messing up and falling back. And then taking steps toward Christ and becoming more and more like him throughout our life. So when we're saved, we're instantly a new creation. We are no longer defined by our past failures or shortcomings. But sanctification is a process. Growing closer to God. Becoming more like Christ. So Christ saved, saves us, and the process of sanctification begins. And we are called to live our lives from the inside out. Okay, it starts on the inside. If there's one thing we know about Jesus, it's that he was all about the heart. Right, so you can do things, you can say things, but God wants to know where your heart is at. Right, he knows where your heart is at. And that's the important thing. So it starts on the inside. God starts to change your heart. But then again, sometimes we like to stop there, and we like to keep our faith on the inside. But if we stop there, our faith stays on the inside, and it never comes out. It never overflows onto the people around us. All right, I want to do an illustration quick, or a little exercise, I guess. I saw a pastor do this, and it kind of hit home with me. So everybody, breathe in. Everybody take a deep breath in. Breathe in. Keep breathing in. Keep breathing in. Keep breathing in. Come on. Don't breathe out. Don't keep breathing in. My goal is for someone to pass out, actually. But Okay, now, now try the opposite. Breathe out. Breathe out. Breathe out. Keep breathing out. Keep it. Don't breathe in. Right? You can't do it. Eventually, you have to breathe in. Eventually, you have to breathe out. And our relationship with God is like this. It's like breathing. It's constantly taking in, and it's constantly pouring out because if all we do is breathe in then our faith the love that christ has put in us right he died on the cross the love that he showed us that's going to stay on the inside and it's never going to be poured out onto others so we can read our bibles right we can do a million bible studies and all this but if we don't implement the word of god if we don't do the things he has called us to do the scripture says that we study it in vain Right? The Bible says we study the scriptures in vain. And then if all we do is breathe in, right? There's, or excuse me, if all we do is breathe out, then there's no foundation. There's no roots, right? So you may be all about works or social justice or feeding the hungry, right? And those are great, awesome things. But if we don't know the gospel, if we don't know the creator or his word, then we have missed the point. Because it's all about the condition of our heart. That's where it begins. So I mentioned works, right? So what about works? Because we got to breathe out eventually, right? We can't just keep breathing. We have to breathe out. In my opinion, works have gotten a bad rap. And I think that maybe because some of us grew up in a church or in a culture or in a family that was really performance-based, right? And so maybe uh, in order for your dad to love you, you had to do really well in school or in sports, or maybe in the church you were in, it felt like you had to do all these things, check off the boxes, and do well in order for God to love you. And so then you come into an environment like our church. What we believe is that it's by grace you have been saved. It's the cross alone. But then sometimes the works just kind of get thrown off to the side. 
works are a good thing, right? We have to breathe out. We have to breathe out. Now, can work save us? No. My good deeds, my morality cannot save me. There's only one thing that can save me, and that is Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from ourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. There was nothing we can do. It was freely given to us. You can't check enough boxes. Church attendance, tithing, not cussing, not being a drunk, whatever it is. You can't check enough boxes to be saved. If we could do that, then why do we need the cross? We don't, right? And so that's why we believe that we have been saved by the cross alone and nothing else. So works do not save us, but when Christ saved us, our hearts start to become more like him, right? And what does that cause us to do? It causes us to live our lives like him to align ourselves with his word, what his word says, which includes works, loving others, serving others, looking outside of ourselves. So the heart is what matters, but the action is the evidence of a changed heart. How we live our lives shows that our hearts have been changed by God. And this is a tricky thing. It's a tricky thing because you can sit in here and you can do all the right things, and you can come in and speak Christianese, and God bless you and all this, check all the boxes, all the while not having any relationship with God. And you can fool me, and you can fool other people in this room, but God sees your heart. God sees your heart. He knows what's really going on in here. So it has to start with a transformed heart that was transformed by God. You have to surrender it all to him. Actually allow him to come into your life and change things and disrupt things and get rid of the things in your life that are not holy, that are not righteous. And that's going to cause us to become more and more like him. 1 John 2.6 says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. That's pretty heavy, right? That's pretty heavy. But it's saying that there should be evidence in your life that you've been changed. There should be evidence that God has transformed your heart. And this is a big point right here. Belief of God without following him does not exist. Like, so if you say you believe in God, but there's no pursuit of him, there's no relationship with him, there's no evidence of a changed heart, you are not a believer in God. You have to have both belief and following God. They go hand in hand. So we have a guy in our church who has passed his rough right? And he was into drugs. He was dealing drugs. He ended up in prison, did a lot of horrible things. And God just rocked his world, right? And he came to know Jesus. Well, what would we say if he said, yeah, I'm a believer in Jesus, but then he just went on with the way he lived? We would say, well, he's not a believer, right? He hasn't changed anything. Or, or what if there was a prostitute or a rapist or a drunk, whatever it is, think of the worst possible sin, and they have an encounter with Christ, they claim and they say, I believe in God, but they're still a rapist. They're still a prostitute, right? What would we say? We say, well, they're not truly a believer in Christ. The same thing is for us, except our offenses just aren't as bad. So we think, right? But here's the deal. Christ says, if that's the game you want to play, 
If you want to do it on your own, it's by your deeds and your morality, then I expect perfection. I expect perfection. That's the bar that we have to reach if we want to do it on our own. And so here's the deal. In that scenario, me and the drunk, me and the prostitute, we are on the same level because we both fall short. And we both need to be saved by Christ. So our relationship begins on the outside, or on the inside, excuse me, begins on the inside, and it begins to overflow out onto other people. So I keep saying overflow. What does that mean? It means that the love that Christ gave to us, dying on the cross, right, the love that has changed our life, it begins to flow through us onto other people. So as we go and as we live our lives, we walk out what it means to be a believer. And so I want to talk about one thing specifically um, that God has called us to do, something I'm really passionate about, and that's missional living. What's missional living? It's doing what God has called us to do in order for the gospel to move forward. So it's having a missions-minded heart. Right now, there are billions of people in the world who have never heard the name of Jesus. Billions of people who have never had a chance to meet their creator or have a relationship with their father. And as the church of Christ, as the body of Christ, it's our job to reach them. God puts that on us. He wants to work through us in that way. And you say, where does he do that? It's called the Great Commission, right? He says, go into the whole world and preach the gospel. And so theologians believe that means literally go into the whole world, unreached people groups, but some also say it means as you go. So as you go to work, as you go to school, be Christ in those areas of your life. Live out your life missionally. Missions is the heartbeat of Jesus. Jesus was all about meeting people's needs and then introducing them to his father, right? And so if you think of a missionary right now, like in a third world country, what do they do? They meet needs, food, water, clothing, education, whatever it may be, and they introduce people to the gospel. They introduce people to Jesus. So if we look at the life of Jesus, we see that he was a servant, that his life was not about him, that it was always focused on others. And here at Homestead, we take that very seriously, right? And we want to live out what it means to love other people like Jesus did. Because we want people to know Jesus. Because we've had an encounter in our life, and while we were lost, Christ went to the cross and saved us. And that changed us so much that we want other people to have that as well. So our youth group uh, right now, missions has kind of become a part of our culture, okay? As leaders and as students, our eyes have been open to some of the things going on in the world, and our students are leading the way in missions. They're leading the way in spreading the gospel. Last year in the state of Minnesota, Assemblies of God students, okay? So that includes our students in the room here. This is students grade 6 through 12, not adults. They raised $1.7 million for missions. That's insane. $1.7 million that went to feed people, provide clean water, provide transportation, so much more. $1.7 million that went so people could hear the gospel. Speed of Light is the name of the organization we give to through this. And they say that between every one and five dollars that is given, uh, one person gets to hear the gospel that has never heard it before. $1.7 million. Imagine how many people found Christ because some students stood up and said, we can do our part. 
we can do something. And so our young people are leading the way, and that is so cool to see that. So right now, there's stuff going on in the world, right? We live in a broken world. We just saw uh, this young boy at the Mall of America thrown off the balcony. Horrible, right? So be praying for him. There's a GoFundMe for his medical bills for his family. I urge you to give to that. So we live in a broken world. A few other things going on right now. And this doesn't even scratch the surface, but right now as we sit in this room, 780 million people do not have access to clean water. So we go to the faucet, we turn on the faucet and get a glass of water, we don't think anything about it. Well, we hear from missionaries and we've watched videos and different things, and we see these kids in third world countries walking with buckets on their heads five miles to go scoop out some water from a little pond where animals are sitting and pooping. And they scoop it up, and that's the water that they bring home for their family. Every 10 seconds, someone dies of starvation. So you can do the math and figure out how many people have died since we've been in this room. 500,000 kids in third world countries die every year of curable diseases like diarrhea. So something that we would go to the drugstore and just get some medicine for our kids, there are kids in the world who die of these things every day. 40 million people are stuck in human trafficking. We say human trafficking because we're a soft culture. This is slavery. There are 40 million slaves in the world right now. We like to say that the Civil War was the turning point for slavery. Well, actually, right now, there are more slaves than ever before in human history. And they're forced to do horrible things. They are owned by other people. And the last one, which we're very passionate about, with the youth group, is that every 30 seconds, someone becomes a victim of sex trafficking. The average age of a sex slave is 13 years old, all the way down to as young as four. And they're forced in these brothels to service men up to 10 times a day. And you may say, oh, well, that doesn't really hit that close to home to me, you know, whatever. Well, it should, because in the United States, sex trafficking is a $10 billion industry. And if that doesn't hit close to home to you, I have a four-year-old daughter named Rachel. A lot of you know her. Imagine my baby girl, Rachel, in a brothel being raped 10 times a day. And you may say, why would you say that? I say that because right now as we sit in this room, there are little four-year-old girls who are being raped. Sex trafficking is a horrific, horrible thing. And I'm not okay with it. And our youth is not okay with it. right? And so we want to do something about it. So we live in a broken world, right? And a lot of times as Christians, we want to shake our fists at God and say, God, why don't you do something, right? Why are you letting this happen? And he speaks back down to us. He says, I did do something. I placed you where you are. I created you. I positioned you where you are to make a difference. And like I said, we live in a soft society, okay? We've become so soft. And while we're busy complaining about traffic and busy complaining that uh, someone got our food order wrong that they prepared for us and then brought to our table, there are people in the world who are burning and who are hurting and who are dying. And so we need to take the blinders off. We need to take the blinders off and realize that God has put us where we are for a reason, right? We've been positioned in the United States with wealth, with resources, with abilities, with talents. There are things we can do that other people can't, and we should be stewarding those to further the gospel and reach those who are in need. God does not bless us with resources 
He doesn't bless us so that we can just continue to cushion our lives. He doesn't bless us so we can just consume everything he's given us. He blesses us so it can flow through us onto other people. And so you're in here right now and you say, he said wealth. Like, I don't feel very wealthy, right? Well, me either. But here's the deal. If you're in here today and you make $32,400 a year, which isn't too hard to do, uh, you're in the top 1% of income earners in the world. So we are wealthy. We are blessed beyond what we can imagine. And we got to take the blinders off. We got to see it. All right, so what do we do? Sometimes I get a little intense when I preach. So let's just, let's do something here. We're going to do what's called a sword drill, all right? Who has their Bible? Woo! Okay, grab your Bible. If you don't have one, there's some hardcover Bibles on the sides. Grab it there. So what is the sword of the Spirit? Are you guys even Christian? What's the sword of the Spirit? It's the Word of God. Okay, so we're going to do a sword drill. See, they know. They know what's up. You're going to put your Bible on your head. Your phone does not count. You have to have a hardcover Bible or whatever. Okay, put your Bible on your head. And this is for some youth swag, you guys. So whoever wins this, you get this uh, hat and this shirt. So anyways, um, so this is what you're going to do. I'm going to say a verse. When I say it, you're going to pull your Bible down. You're going to find that verse. Once you find it, you stand up, start shouting that verse out. Whoever gets it first wins the prize. How's that sound? All right, here we go. You guys ready? Are you sure? Now, parents, you cannot let these knuckleheads win. Come on, one of you's gotta, we gotta know our Bibles. Here we go. James 2, verse 14. Read it. Oh, look at all, oh, look at all these. Sorry, Emma got it. Emma got Merrick's really. Merricks. Wow, give it up for Merricks. Come on up. Come on up. Come on up here. Come on up. There you go. Since you're here, would you like to just say your testimony quick? No? Okay. Hey, you get a shirt too. Hey, you get a shirt too. Okay, so now, usually when we do this, once, and this is awkward, sorry. Once someone wins, then what do the students do? They close their Bible. I'm like, the point wasn't to win the prize. It was to find the spot in the book. So if you close your Bible, James 2, verse 14, all right? Here we go. Everyone there? What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, it is, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without your deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. So we are rooted in Christ, right? We've been saved by grace alone, but what does God say? He says it's time to get to work. There's things that need to be done. God has, he has a job for us. He has a mission for us. The Bible says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. That there are so many people who don't know his name. There's so many people who are struggling, who are hurting, that we need to help. And so I want to talk about three ways that we can apply this to our lives. Okay, first one is this. Here at Homestead, we believe in the God who parted the Red Sea. We believe in the God who walked on water and did so many other miracles, right? And so we believe in his power, and we believe in the power of prayer. 
So the first thing we can do is we can pray, right? Pray for the millions of people who don't know Christ, that they would have an encounter with him. Pray for those who are hurting, that they would get out of those situations, right? That they could be set free. And also pray for what God is calling you to do. What does God want you to do, right? Is he calling you to sit on your butt and watch Netflix? I don't think so. <laughs> right? So, and you may be in here today saying, we can't meet every need in the world, right? And no, we can't. But we can meet some needs, right? We can meet some needs. And imagine if we all in this room picked one thing and just got super passionate about it. Can you imagine all that we could do, all the good that we do, all the people that would come to know Christ if we would just get passionate but we have to take a step and actually do something. Because here's the deal. While we are praying, people are dying. While we are praying, people are being trafficked. While we are praying, people are being abused. And so, yes, we believe in the power of prayer and that God can do mighty things. And we should get down on our knees and pray. But God never said we can't walk and pray. God never said we can't go to work and pray. Right? We're supposed to be praying constantly. Right? So we can go do the work of God while we are praying. And this kind of leads into the next thing, that we should get involved. Get involved with something. And like I said earlier, we need to force our eyes to be open to the pain of the world, that we can't just hide away from it. And parents in here, I want to encourage you, don't shelter your kids from the pain in the world. Now, obviously, you have to decide age-appropriate things. But for me, I want my son to know that when he goes and gets a drink of water from the faucet, that that's a blessing from God, and that there are kids in the world who don't have that. They don't have that luxury. And when we sit down and have a nice meal, I want my kids to know that that is a blessing from God. And there are kids right now who haven't had a meal yet today, right? And so I think sometimes we shelter our kids so much. I want my kid to know what's going on in the world and grow a foundation in his faith, and to be able to come to me and say, why is this happening, right? And then I can explain to how we are rooted in God and how God has, wants to use us to help in these situations. I don't want them to be sheltered their whole life and then turn 18 and realize that the world is for, full of pain and sin and they have no foundation in their faith. The other day, my son came home from school and he learned a new word. And it was the bad one. <laughs> the, the bad one, all right? My son's in kindergarten. And so... Uh, my wife was pretty distraught about this. He comes and says, Mom, is blank a bad word? Right? And she's like, what did you say? Right? And so she texts me. She's like, I can't believe this happened. Like, our boy is being exposed to the world and all this. And I told her, I'm glad it happened. <laughs> You're like, what? You want your kid to hear all this stuff? I'm glad it happened. Because somewhere in my son's heart, in his spirit, he knew that it was wrong. He knew that there was something off about that. And so he came to us and he said, hey, is this a bad thing? And we were able to explain to him that we're Maxwell's. And as Maxwell's, we do things differently. As Maxwell's, well, some of my family's here, great. I just, that, we just blew that. Ugh, bad illustration. Anyways, as Christians, as Christians, we do things a little differently. Right? And we're going to live our lives out differently. And every step of the way, there are going to be people who don't live like us. And that's okay. We're going to show them the love of Christ. And you're going to feel things in your heart and in your soul that feel wrong, right? And you need to come to us and we can talk about it. And so I'm glad it happened because we were able to grow his foundation in Christ just a little bit more. 
And that's so important. Okay, that was kind of for free. I went off a tangent there. Sorry about that. So get involved. Do something. Right? Serve downtown in the projects. Like 30 minutes from here, Minneapolis, St. Paul, there's a level of wealth, or excuse me, level of poverty that we can't even really comprehend. Right? So go serve. Go help in a food shelf. Go do something. Uh, Do you have some extra cash? Help a single mom who needs some groceries. Are you good at working on cars? Help a single mom fix up her car, right? Go on a missions trip. There are so many things that we can do. Just pick something and get involved. And when you do that, God's going to start to stir something in your heart. He's going to stir up passion in you, and he's going to show you what your calling is, what the area is in your life that you're supposed to be serving. So in our youth group, like I said, we've gotten passionate about raising money to end sex trafficking. Okay, so we work with an organization called 30 for Freedom. And I am honored to know the guy who started him. I'm honored to call him my friend. It's Pastor Brent Silkey. And he started this because God put a vision in him. Okay, he woke up one day and said, enough is enough. He'd been hearing about sex trafficking. He said, I got to stand up and do something. So God gave him a vision on his 30th birthday to run 30 miles with 30 friends and raise $30,000. And because of that small vision, over the last three years, $425,000 has been raised to set people free from sex trafficking. And the money literally goes to like guys who go and kick down doors in brothels and grab girls and save them. Or intercept girls who are being groomed, right, for that life, and they save them. And then they provide them with restoration and healing and counseling and show them who they were called to be through Christ. All because one guy stood up and said, enough, enough. This can't happen on my watch. Imagine if we all did that. And so if you're looking for something to be involved in, uh, we'd love you to join us for 30 for Freedom. Okay, our students are running. So if you don't want to run, throw some money at their fundraising, okay? Um, It's all going to set people free. But if you want to join, you can run a 5K, a 10K, a half marathon, or a 30-mile run. Who wants to do 30 with me? Come on. Okay, so here's the deal. I am not a runner, but I'm signed up to do 30 miles, and here's why. At the end of the day, 30 miles is going to suck, right? It's going to suck. But compared to these girls who are being taken advantage of, it's just not that big a deal. So it's going to be one day where I'm in a lot of pain, but not even close to what they're going through, right? So join us for 30 for Freedom. All right, number three. This one, if you know me pretty well, uh, you're not going to be surprised by this one, okay? Get out of debt. Get out of debt. Living above your means is not a godly thing. It's not. The world burns while we gather trinkets and toys that we don't even need that are going to end up in a landfill. Get out of debt. Brooke and I have been so convicted by this in the last few years. God came into our life and kind of spoke to me and said, you have made a mess of the things I have given you. You have made a mess of the resources I've given you. It's time to clean it up. And so there have been things that Brooke and I have felt called to do, or in our spirit we felt like we're supposed to do that, but we couldn't because our money is going to the bank and to the car company and to the credit card company. There's so much more that we could be doing with the resources that we have So get out of debt. Imagine the impact the people of God could have if we realize that what we have been given is God's and we are called to manage it for him. It's not ours. It's not ours. We're not called to just consume everything he gives us. 
No, there's so much more to that. And I hear people talk about the tithe. They're giving 10%. And they're like, oh, that's just so much. And that used to be me. I used to be in that boat. You guys, the tithe is just a baseline. Here we are complaining about the tithe, and we're driving around in finance cars and buying $12 lattes. Right? Generosity is about your heart lining up with the heart of God. The tithe is to teach us that it's not ours, that it's all his. We shouldn't be trying to figure out how little we can give. We should be trying to figure out how much we can give. And that's every aspect of our life, our resources, our talents, our abilities. Right? It's all God's, and we need to steward it for him. God doesn't want your 10%. He wants it all. He wants you to surrender yourself to him. He wants your whole heart. And so we need to live in a way that honors him. Now, does that mean you can't have nice things? No, it doesn't mean that. God blessed people in the Bible with nice things, right? It means that those nice things can't have you. Like if your heart is set on looking good or having the big house or all this, then that's when you have a problem. It's okay to have nice things. It's okay to have blessings in your life. Like, am I not supposed to take care of my family? No, it's biblical to take care of my family, right? If God gave you a gift for business, like you're good at it, then build a giant business and do it for the glory of God, right? Use your resources so God can work through you. We can't let the things of this world define us because I don't know about you, but my identity is in Christ, and that is what defines me, all right? So that it doesn't matter what I drive. It doesn't matter what shoes I wear. It doesn't matter what house I live in. I don't care what you think about that because my identity is in Christ. That's all that matters. And that gives me freedom from those things, right? So I stand up here today, and I know you're all looking at my hair, and you're thinking, that guy's hair belongs on a 40-year-old accountant's head, right? Like I'm balding a little bit. I know, I'm 26, okay, stop. It's the kids. They're stressing me out. And I know you're looking at my beard and you're saying, what is with that beard? It's unkept and it's growing crazy. Here's the thing. I don't care what you think. I don't because my identity is in Christ. And so I don't have to worry about what you think or what other people think about the things in my life as long as I'm aligned with the will of God and with the call of God. And that's missional living. It's every day waking up and asking God how he can use us. Asking God how he can steward the things that we have, how we can steward the things that he has given us. Proverbs 16.3 says, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. So God made each and every one of you uniquely. He made each and every one of you for a reason. He has a job for you. He has a mission for you. Don't miss it. Don't miss it, because when you are living in the will of God, you will find more purpose, more joy, more peace than you could ever imagine. So as I wrap up here, I want to encourage you to put your faith into action, to let God truly come in and to change your heart and to become more aligned with who Christ is and then to turn around and pour that out onto the people around you. And so when we leave this place today, let's go out with a different mindset. Let's go out with a, it's not what God can bless me with or what I can get, but no, what can we do for others? How can we serve others? We need to realize that our life, when it's in Christ, our life is not about us. 
It is about realizing that we have been saved by no work of our own. And our job is to bring glory to God with a gospel-centered, missional life. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you. We thank you so much for being here in this place with us. I pray right now that your word has spoken to people in this room. I pray that people will take their faith seriously, God, and that it's not about just showing up and checking the boxes and making everyone think that we're Christians, but it's about our heart. And so I pray that today we all surrender our hearts to you. And I pray that you would come in and you would change things in our life, take things out, put good things in, God, so that we can become more and more like you. I pray that we would live our lives missionally. I pray that our lives wouldn't be just about us, God, that our checkbooks wouldn't show that it's all about us, but that we want to take what you have given us and we want to bless others and we want to spread the gospel so more people can spend eternity with you. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the family that we have become. And I ask many blessings over everyone in this room. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.